This is the Relevant Podcast. It's Friday, February 19th, 2021, and it's the Relevant Podcast here in Orlando, which is 78 degrees right now. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and joining me from Tundra, Ver- <laughs> Virginia, it's Jesse Carey. <laughs> hello, hello. Uh, from, uh, for, for now, because she has power, from Austin, Texas, uh, author, podcaster, Jamie Ivey. Hey, guys. And from the icy Nashville, Tennessee, uh, artist, producer, uh, mogul, Derek Miner. Do you want to build a snowman? <laughs> <laughs> so the people listening to this on Friday, who knows Who knows what the weather is on Friday, but we're recording this on Wednesday, which yeah. is when the entire map of America is blue and light blue, except for Florida, which is orange and red. And I read that 78% of America is covered in snow right now, which is absolutely yeah, nuts. Uh, there's like almost 4 million people in Texas that don't have power. Dude. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. It's been it's been the hardest thing. And people up north, you know, all joking aside, they're like, oh, the Texans can't handle it. But we really can't because <gasps> nothing in our system was built for this. Right. Our, our yeah. power grids weren't built for this. Our homes weren't built for this. Like, our skin wasn't built for this. It has been really, really bad. And, I mean, for me personally, I haven't talked to my parents. I haven't got, been able to get a hold of my parents since Sunday morning. Oh, my God. Oh, and wow. it's just like... I mean, I've got like fever blues. I'm just stressed. I'm sure they're fine. I'm sure they're fine. Like, I'm sure they just don't have power or cell phone service, but it's stressful. Like, I don't know how my parents are doing. And not to be a Debbie Downer, but no, no, just, I, it's like, it's rough here how, in Texas. How far, how far yeah. are they? They're like an hour and a half from me. So they're in central Texas in a small little town called Doss. They don't have a fireplace. My dad did make it into town on Monday. We're recording this on Wednesday. Monday, he called me. He said it was the worst he'd ever seen, and it was 31 in their bedroom that night. It's oh just, it's gosh. historic. I mean, like, there it's, are ranchers yeah. that are losing cattle. There's, I mean, it's... It's it's going to be really bad for Texas, where I live in particular, for months ahead. It's also exposed how Texas runs their, uh, their energy yeah. industry totally differently than the rest of America. Like, here yeah, in Florida, I, we have, like, kind of, like, a city power and water and trash company. You know what I mean? In Texas, I was hearing on NPR yesterday that they bid it out. It's a free market energy system. So like the different cities will buy electricity at like $30 an hour or whatever. Well, supply and demand, all of a sudden, like these power companies have way more demand than supply. So they're jacking up the $30 electricity hour to like $900 an hour. And, and the people who want the electricity have no choice but to have to pay these exorbitant yeah. rates. So if you have power, you're getting like gouged. And if you, yeah. you know, and then they're rolling the blackouts and limiting supply, which is keeping the prices high. It's this yeah, crazy it's, thing. And cities yeah. can't do anything about it. That's what I was. Yeah. It's a, I think I saw Governor Abbott is bringing that up to the legislation first. It's a big deal right now too, that going on. Yeah. So all the wow. like oil, Texas, you know, the energy lobby like ran the show and now this literally lives are being lost because of really the greed yeah. of the energy sector in that state. It's insane. Yeah. I can't yeah. believe it. So, yes, I'm with you guys now, but we've had rolling blackouts. I'd say we've had power at my house. We've been so blessed, like maybe probably at least 15 hours a day we have power, which is a big deal. I have friends that haven't had power since Sunday. Yeah, I have a friend that says their mom gets power every eight hours for 30 minutes. That just blew. That reminded me of when I was in Haiti a couple years ago where they would get power 
every three days. That's like, what, it'll be like that's what Israel does with the uh, West Bank Palestinian homes. They yeah. give them water like one day out of every 10. And they got to fill up like uh, jugs on their roof and ration it out. So I mean, it's like, yeah. we, were, we were melting snow last night, you guys, to flush the toilets. We don't have water. We haven't mm. had water for two days. Oh and my so, goodness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, and I like, I even told my kids this morning, it feels so weird. I'm like, okay, guys, I'm going to go try to do this. Nobody eat eggs. Like just make a sandwich. Let's save our eggs because we just don't know when we can go to the store again. It's crazy. So, so the are the pipes frozen? Is that the reason why you don't have we water? We think our pipes we think our pipes froze, so we just shut the water off because we didn't have water. So we, it was just like trickling. But then Aaron went to the pump house. We have a, we have a well. We live in the country, and it's frozen. And so we turned all the water off. How how long till they think the storm breaks? Like till warmer temperatures are? Yeah, we're recording this on Wednesday, and a news. I just saw the news this morning that another storm's coming in tonight through Thursday at like six p.m. And so our kids are out of school all week. I was supposed to go out of town this weekend, not going. I mean, I looked at the weather; it said temperatures are going to be like sixty-five on Friday and Saturday. But Jamie, if you and your family want to come join me in Orlando, I was in the pool yesterday (laughs) and. The sun is a little bright right now. It's like coming in the windows a little too bright for us. You're the worst. (laughs) I know. I know. I mean, last weekend, it was like 70 here. We were like, we have the best winter weather. And now we're crying, y'all. Man. So pray for Texans. And Nashville's covered in ice. And I mean, all these cities that aren't used to dealing with severe winter weather are really buckling right now. It's really sad and scary. Good news is, guys, because uh, we when we did have power, I did watch that movie that we talked about last week. Judas. Uh, oh, and the Black Messiah. Black, Black Messiah. Messiah. Black yeah. Messiah, yeah. What'd you I think? It, I liked it a lot. It was good. It was very good. Amazing Here's, acting. Has anyone else seen it? Mm-hmm. Okay, so one of my 15-year-old boys, his word afterwards, I watched it with myself, my husband, a 15-year-old son, and a 13-year-old daughter. And my son was like, I don't, and all, both those kids are black. And my son was like, I didn't like it. And I was like, you did it? And he goes, I didn't like the content. And I told Aaron later, I was like, I think it's because if you don't know context for the story, like as a 15, 13 year old, to him, I think it felt scary a little bit. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. Like he doesn't know anything about it the organization scary. or the history. Yeah, but to him, I think it made him feel a little uncomfortable, mm. which yeah. I'm not saying it shouldn't, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. we all have history of, what was happening in that time and how that all came up. I don't think he had the history. So we had good conversations about it. That's my plug for parents. It brings on good conversations. The amazing actors. And we're so grateful for, for Daniel uh, Kalua to joining us last week. The one critique that I had was just from a storytelling standpoint, they cast people that were a decade older than the actual people they were portraying. These are 21 and 17 year olds that were in the film and the actors were in their thirties. The yeah. Their actors were in their thirties. And so it just, to me, it lost to me. If it, to, to think that that's a 17 year old or that was a 21 year old. I mean, like that is, puts in a different context and these are grown, grown ups. You know what I mean? Yeah. Think yeah. about this. I didn't know that until the, the credits. The, the federal government, assassinated a 21 year old exactly that was that was fighting to help his community um think about that That, like let that sink in (laughs) i think that's that's the crazy part right it's hard for i I have i'm gonna be honest i haven't watched it certain movies that i'm just like i have so such a history with the information it's hard for me to to watch like yeah, so i haven't like, watched yeah. it yet I, i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to work the nerve up to watch it because i know it's gonna put me in a dark place 
Is it, that's what I was wondering. Are, are you uh, not wanting to watch it because you're afraid that Hollywood will sanitize and change the narrative? Or are you not wanting to watch it because it would almost trigger, you know, it's, a it, it, it'll trigger me. Okay. It'll mm-hmm. trigger me for sure. Yeah. I have to, I have to, I have to really be careful with my intake on films like that. That's uh, a good warning. Yeah. It's just really, yeah. Yeah. Just for me. I just know like certain movies that I just haven't watched, you know, like, and I'm just like, I'm just, I can't watch it. Like, so any movie that has to do, like like the Harriet Tubman movie, like, I'm, out. I'm not going to watch it. Jamie, to your point about the actors being older, you know, I feel like, when, when is that trend just for movies in general? When are we going to move away from that? Because I feel like th- that, th- you know, the, the Judas and the Black Messiah uh, aside, just at, for films and TV in general... When is it? When can we just say like we, people just need to be cast their own age because it's starting to be distracting? I this I don't want anyone judging me. Are you going to talk about your fandom of nine hundred two one zero? No, I was going to talk about. <laughs> oh, I love the, that. To all the boys <laughs> series on Netflix. Listen, <laughs> I know it's like a teeny bopper series and it's a trilogy, and they dropped the third one uh, like a week ago. But it is what it is. Look, okay, we're in a pandemic. You watch what you can watch. All right, I've seen all three. <laughs> to all the boys I've loved before, they're high school rom coms. Have you? Are you guys familiar with this franchise? I saw the trailer promoted after I watched a different film on Netflix yeah. and thought, I am not a thirteen year old girl. This is not for me. So there's three of them. Well, the, the the problem is, especially the guy who's like the boyfriend in the new one. He looks like he's in his 30s. Like he, he looks like he could honestly be close to my age. And he's in high school in the film. And it's very, very disorienting. But, but, but 90s TV shows. Did, did that? Yeah. I mean, I know two and oh, like one of the, the high saying. school kids was thirty in real life, and yeah. Saved takes, by the Bell, same thing. I mean, it, 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 it's gone far enough. It takes, yeah. you know, look, we we're in the age of TikTok, okay? We know what high school kids look like. <laughs> They're the most famous people in the world, okay? Like you're not fooling, you're yeah. not fooling me by having some weird like thirty-two year old model act like he's the varsity quarterback, okay? The actual varsity quarterback are posting hilarious TikTok videos. I know what they look like. You would just just move away from this. They're like, a, they're like 140 pounds wet varsity quarterback. And this guy's, you know, like, you know, D10 yeah. and ripped. That, that, yeah. yeah. That, that guy looks like Trevor Lawrence, who is like 6'5, <laughs> 225, and in his early 20s. Okay. Like the, the quarterback I watch in the high school movies literally is older than some NFL quarterbacks. That okay. is a problem. You know? Okay. Y'all are talking. Okay. I was wanting to bring this up because while you were watching your, rom- your teen rom coms, Jesse, yeah. this week, I've decided I, I love Peacock, this new streaming service from yep, Universal. Yep. It's got yeah. The Office on there and King of Queens and a I've bunch been of doing shows some I love. King of Queens lately. And, and me too. It, yeah. I've been I've been binging yeah. King of Queens, but I decided to and I, Yellowstone's on there. Uh, loved Yellowstone. When I finished Yellowstone, I was like, to augment my comedies, my mindless comedies that I watch all the time, I need another drama series to to revisit. Right? Yeah. Well, stumbled across one of our old classic favorites, one of the first ones in that lost era, kind of ushering in the golden age of television that we've been experiencing for the last decade. Friday Night Lights is on. Um, is on. Is on. Okay, here's the it's deal. The best. Here's the deal. In the last two years, I have gone back, and I, Derek and I have talked about this. I've rewatched all the the Wire, Sopranos, Breaking Bad. Rewatched them. They hold up. They're unbelievable. Just as good the third don't time. Don't say it, Cameron. I don't am say sorry, it. Jamie Ivey. Don't say it. I don't mean to disrespect your dogs, 
but <laughs> or my but state. season one of Friday Night Lights is one of the most painful. It does not hold up. It the time and cinematography <laughs> is speak not of friendly. Coach Taylor that way. It is painful how bad the the teen acting is. The shaky camera was so edgy and the quick cuts. It was so bad. And you're going, this feels so dated. And the acting is so earnest and so terrible. Like, how did we not realize this is a horrible teenage soap opera back then? We thought it was like groundbreaking cinema. Because Coach Taylor and Tammy Taylor, we fell in love with them and we're like, we want to be, I want to be Tammy Taylor. I'm almost all the way through the first season going, when does it get good? Because I cannot remember (laughs) when we fell in love with this show because it is not season one. I'm sorry. Keep going. Keep going. I I will. Okay. Tell me about content, like how it ages when you revisit it. Because I I, I recently, you know, dove into the, I I told myself I wasn't going to do Peacock just because it's another thing, another thing you got to pay for. But look, good content's good content. They got the office, Parks and Rec. But I was rewatching. Just it's a great like King of Queens. It's like a a, oh, a, a great all in the background. Yeah. yeah, but even just like recog- like part of why I think oh this is so fun to watch is because everything that we watch now it's like okay well this is only about nine and a half hours and we'll watch it over three nights. You know what I mean? Like everything is like this long. Dude, episodes are a tight 20 minutes. I mean, some 19, are coming some in. Of them, yeah. yeah, are coming in at 19. <laughs> like, and it is four full plots. They have like the Doug plot, they have the Carrie plot, the wife, the they plot. have the Arthur plot and a friend plot. And they mm-hmm. basically at some point were like, "Listen, this show is just going to be four scenarios. Maybe they intersect, maybe they don't. It doesn't yeah. matter, and we're just going to cram jokes it's in." Great. And it works because we're so used to the, all this content that like breathes you know what i mean like oh mm-hmm. uh, well hey don't worry all you got to do if you settle into the first three seasons <laughs> the last nine are really good exactly <laughs> the first yes it's like, dude so the, just the, the bar i have to clear to just watch a show yeah. is, is to give it 30 hours and then and then, then it's, it's like, good yeah. like right yeah. it's like i started like uh schitt's creek or whatever you know yeah. and yeah, it's yeah. like oh j- just trust me once you get past those first three 35 episodes it oh, really up. gets in the pocket is it everybody told me it was whack like everybody i trust okay is like yo it's, it just it's depends. not it's not a good show it it's just very... depends on your sense of humor it's definitely connect the difference of like sctv humor versus snl humor you know that okay. canadian sarcasm dry wit it's that it is that uh, okay. times 10 if you like christopher guest movies if you like this kind of like kind of dry satire it, Shit's uh-huh. Creek is right up here but if that's not your humor and you want like King of Queens like not set them up knock them down jokes yeah. it's not it's yeah. not that I'm, saying, I'm not just gonna I'm not gonna I'm with Jesse I'm not investing a whole season to decide whether I like this or not yeah. you got three episodes out of me okay. I will, I'll, I'll give you three <laughs> give Shit's Creek if you three don't episodes have me, I think you'll like you don't it give yeah. Me, yeah, if, you, if, if you can't get me in three episodes yeah. I'm done like that's what that's the bar for like Breaking Bad the wire, yep. like even one division. One division took wi- about three. Mm-hmm. The wire. Yeah. Uh, before I saw it, a friend told me, "Give it three. It's the third episode. Yeah. The first two episodes, they're trying to set up all who's yep. who, the whole world. The third episode, all of a sudden." grabs you and now you're watching three, four, five, you know, like you're just yep, in, yep. but it takes you a little while to get into the world, you know, and, and that's fair. 
for like Breaking Bad and others like that. I mean, but not a whole season, dog. Like I'm not going to sit here. Thank you. It's for eight episodes. It'd be like, what? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, if that's how long you need, like the, 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 the the King of Queens thing, like watching some of these old shows that are like, Hey, there ain't no time. Like the joke is either funny. It's either you Dick Van Dyke tripping over the Ottoman either works or it doesn't. Okay. Like come in with the joke. I know what the setup is and it either works or it doesn't. I don't need like six hours to develop a character. If I think his little quirks are funny, it just, it makes me think like, Maybe Quibi, the, you know, the 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 mobile <laughs> yes. service that the you know yeah. that billions of dollars were sunk into, and and basically no one subscribed, but it was all short form content that we're supposed to watch like on a commute or whatever. Because I also think that the people who invented uh, 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 Quibi also picture people living lives like they did in '90s sitcoms, where it's like, oh, I got to go to work, gonna you know stop by the the hip downtown coffee shop, and then into the taxi where I'll watch my. <laughs> 10 minute chance the rapper show or whatever but regardless it it wasn't going to work for a lot of reasons it's made me think like is it too late i bet i can get a pretty cheap quibi subscription right now because i'm liking the short stuff i'm liking the short stuff i don't need i don't need another 15 season thing in my life right now i'm just well all that to say do just leave friday night lights in your head and that wonderful happy memory do not go back and look at it with fresh eyes because (laughs) She's painful. She's she's not good to look at. So just keep it where it is. Dang, it's that bad, well, huh? It's well, you could try it, Derek. I, I I mean, just give it a try. But I I did want to tell you guys this. Y'all can tell I haven't talked to very many people this week, so I'm dying to tell you guys all the things. Okay, <laughs> like my kids don't care. But Derek, you might be the only one here that cares about this because I think I, you're a Marvel fan, right? But show. I started watching from the beginning, and so we're going through all of them. Not in chronological order, but the order they were released. And so yes. I'm in now. When you guys talk about it, I'm in. We watched yes. Guardians of the Galaxy last night. So there yes. you go. So that's far, a good one. In, that is a good in one. In case you're wondering, my favorite character is Iron Man, and I don't care for Thor. So there's my opinion so yeah, far. And once, once Ragnarok comes around, you'll start to like that's Thor. That's what my kids yeah. said, it's, actually. It's, it's yeah. a hard yeah. pivot. The you thing just is, have to give I've them three seen... movies. That's all. What's the big deal? <laughs> all you have to do is sit through three on some weird planet. And I'm telling you. They did you... say that, that Thor 3. They're like, you're going to like him. I'm like, well, this movie sucks. But I've already seen Endgame. Like, I've seen Endgame. I've seen Black so I've seen some of so them. So you flipped to so, the end of the book and read the final chapter, and yeah. then now you're well, starting just, at the beginning. I just went to see the movies with my kids, yeah. but I didn't care. Yeah. But now right. I'm like investing in it. So anyhow, that's what we're binging when we have power. Oh, there you go. That's nice. Yeah. Well, speaking of movies, yeah. uh, great little segue. We have a great show in store for you. Coming up later, we have the director of the new buzzworthy A24 film, Minari. Uh, Lee Isaac Chung. We talked to him about this amazing film. It just came out this past week. Uh, it, it's the story of American Asian immigration. It's it's different. It, there's so much to it, and we that's coming up later. I can't wait. Also, we have this week's relevant recommends, and yes, we're bringing it back. What's Jesse thinking? Stay tuned. Right now, up next, it's relevant news. You're listening to Chai. The song is action. And yes, half the lyrics were not in English. 
Well, today's show is brought to you by Apartment Life. You have got to check out what our friends at Apartment Life are doing. It's amazing. They believe every individual is created for community, so they're building that community among apartment neighbors. Right now, they're looking for folks who love Jesus, get excited about hospitality, and really take the opportunity to be with people when life gets tough. And get this, Apartment Life will equip you, walk alongside you, and provide you with either a reduced rent apartment or a part-time salary. Visit apartmentlife.org slash relevant to find out more and join them today. You don't want to miss this life-changing opportunity to really show the love of Christ to neighbors, especially these days. Again, that's apartmentlife.org slash relevant. Go check it out. So cool. Okay, it's time for Relevant Please welcome to the show Relevant Senior Editor, Tyler Huckabee, telling us what's happening this week at the intersection of faith and culture. Hey, Tyler. Hey, everybody. You know what? We uh, we talked about, to the listener, we talked about the fact that at any moment, we might lose Jamie Ivey's power. Yep. And as Tyler came on, Jamie went away. Now, we don't know if she's going to come back, <laughs> but if she doesn't, Tyler, yeah. can you join us for the rest of the show? Can you be Jamie for us? I- I'm working. Uh-huh. She was just talking about Marvel. <laughs> That's right in your lane. You yeah, can just I'll continue. Just pick up right where she okay. is. I've actually seen Thor 3. Okay. So I, I can yeah. I can give a broader content. Yeah, I'll 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 stick around. I'll, if I'm, if she doesn't come back, there you go. I appreciate it. All right. So what's going I on? I hope this she week? comes back. This is a kind of a, it's kind of a boys' club without Jamie around, but yeah. But I'll I'll do my best. Um, and uh, yeah, we we had to make a little pivot talking about the new. We're talking we're uh, we're talking on Wednesday, and uh, we received the word, and we do need to talk about this that on Tuesday night, uh, the contemporary Christian music industry lost a, a as, as close to an icon as CCM has that, and that of course is Carmen, who passed away at a hospital in Las Vegas at just sixty five years old. Super sad. Sixty five is is just. Uh, wow. That ain't nothing at all. That, that's a hard one to look. Yeah, after a, a brief and pretty aggressive uh, cancer battle. So, Carmen, uh, I, I said, told somebody else this earlier. If you weren't there, it's hard to explain him. If you weren't there, you you just won't get it. But we'll do a little bit of our best to take you through who Carmen was. He was really, truly one of a kind, an entertainer all of his own. He became a Christian at an Andre Crouch concert, worked with Bill Gaither for a little bit, but was a really ambitious guy and established a reputation for himself in CCM with these operatic sort of story-driven songs that were really centered around like but cosmic battles. If people haven't battles. heard it, you're saying operatic. It's not opera. It's It was... It was- Rock opera, it's not, yeah, it it not, yeah. not a symphony. This isn't this isn't Phantom of the Opera. It, it, but it, it was, was like a, it was a rock theatrical. opera, theatrical and though, very yeah. very theatrical. Yeah. And he didn't really he he can sing. He had a decent voice, but he he was mostly known for this sort of like talk preach Almost spoken like Vegas word. showman kind of I, thing. I gave you Clark, like, play a little yeah. bit of that first. If you've heard a Carmen song, it probably is this one. Play that first clip that I sent your way, Clark. One of you unclean spirits, I'm running you out of town. Depression, strife, disease, and fear, your posse's going down. All oh, has dinner for the dog, that man. We sent him over the box. But I know who I am through Jesus Christ, so I talk to you demons like dogs. Satan, you coward, you molester of souls. This is, this is uh, Satan bite the dust. Oh. And the music why video did, why features Carmen. Why do you play Carmen. the music part of it? 
Featured, yeah, well, there isn't really a music part of it. This is that's really that's most of it. Uh, the talking. He, he's a cowboy in this video, and he's like clearing out this old time, old western saloon that's full of demons who are also cowboys, and and he shoots them with guns, which are like the righteous power of God flowing out of his music and killing the demons. Now, now Tyler, I, I I feel like one of the things that if we're talking about the legacy of Carmen is I feel like it, it, he was someone who was really emblematic of like a cultural divide that unless you grew up a certain way, you may not even been aware of. And I'm what sure. I mean by that is, oh, yeah. you know, like, yeah, I hope this is okay for, 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 for me divulging. I think it's come up before, but you in particular, like you were, you know, homeschooled and, yeah, and, yeah. and raised yeah. in the church. And, mm-hmm. you know, I too was, raised in the church but i didn't really you know i i didn't wasn't really like big into like the christian kind of music kind of culture mm-hmm. scene but there was a segment of the population not all of them obviously were you know homeschooled but there were a, a certain segment of a generation of christians who were maybe to various degrees sheltered by either their family or their church from uh some mainstream entertainment and as an alternative, people like Carmen and Carmen in particular was sort of this source of uh, uh, not just like, you know, music, but films and and mm-hmm. kind of books. And he was sort of a really interesting cultural figure that held outsized importance for a particular portion of the population. Well, here, here's my experience with yes. Carmen, because a lot of a lot of the people, 90s kids who grew up in the church, knew Carmen's music, the champion would be like kind of the human video outreach skits and the things like that. The human video was a big, you know, yeah. it was a big thing. Carmen was May the not have existed a lot of without Carmen. The whole music, the whole human video yeah. thing was championed by The interesting, Carmen. hey, there you go. The interesting thing for me is watching his evolution from the late 80s with the, like the champion to then like he went through his like rap phase and then his rock phase and then mm-hmm. his, you know, he kept kind of reinventing with the trends and it was like the church ministry evangelism version of you know, like a middle-aged man doing kind of like the, the cool music for the teens. And it was just like, it it was never like something you love, but like the parents love to take you to a Carmen concert. You know, the interesting thing about Carmen concerts is he was so ministry focused. He would largely do free concerts, like at an Mm -hmm. arena, he'd have 10,000 people there. And then he would do an altar call at the con. It was a really a ministry thing to him. It wasn't just Christian entertainment, which is really what set him apart from like the Christian radio acts, you know, who were just there to like do a Christian rock concert. You know what I mean? He was doing it as like ministry 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 and i think that's his legacy and i and two like the other thing that was i i noticed as a kid about him is he was a very good looking middle-aged italian man yeah the italian stallion uh-huh. like a confirmed bachelor like i remember big when i lived Stallone in nashville you see, see him on vibes. dates around yeah. town and it's like man uh-huh. carmen man, he figured it out you can like rock you can date people for your entire life this is amazing and then he finally got married a couple years ago uh we reported a he was a free agent into his 60s though yeah. which is pretty rare in the C- in the very rare world. Yeah. He, but he but that's that's true he was he was a well-known like kind of smooth talker uh very i don't, I don't know any like i don't think in a negative way he just no no he, no he went on a lot of dates did, Derek, uh, did, did, did you have any did was carmen a figure that you had any sort of uh uh familiarity or, or sort of relationship with his music kind of growing up at all r.i.p to go you know the legend but 
Dog, I saw the album cover and I was out, bro. <laughs> like, it was just like, I was like, nah, man. Well, it, I it, remember somebody trying to be like, yo, you should listen to this. He raps and stuff. No, I'm, no, no. no. I, saw the, I saw the album cover. I was like, bro, there's no way I'm going to listen to this guy with this slick back hair rapping. Like, yeah, it's just not going to do it. You don't have to listen to it, but let's just brief, because we've talked touched on this and this is an important part of the Carmen legacy, is he, there was not a trend or a genre that this guy wouldn't wasn't willing to really give his all to. So let's play that second clip. This song is called Addicted to Jesus. He did it with DC Talk A2J. in, I believe, 89 or 90. And this is after the, the MC Hammer. That's uh, correct. Too yeah. Legit to Quit and the video had the hand motions of Too Legit they're, to L. They're all gathered the around. A, the like A2J a, video had the hand motions too. Uh, he, uh, so they did, the, they did the knockoff thing. Oh, everything. Uh, oh, Every, everything. That's oh, Carmen. Okay. Every year. Oh, this is big now for the young people. I'll do the Carmen version of it. Here's A to J. Shout out, shout out to Kevin Max for being on that song. Yeah, that's Kevin, hey Toby, and Michael Tate there in the background. That you hear doing good, man. Them, I, I know, vocals. I know Toby and Michael uh, personally. They, 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 you know, they're good people. I know, I know. But, I'm but saying, I never. Uh, just, that's a new one. Nah, man, that that ain't it. Uh, <laughs> y'all ain't look. <laughs> well, and, and I think yeah. Derek, and, Derek and White Charismatic Church. This is all we had. We're man. in a, you're in a tough spot because obviously no one wants to, no one's going to say anything bad about the guy. This was a nah. I rock with nah. Look, look, man. I I could give credit where credit is due. Like my thing is is I like he's an icon. So apparently he affected some people in a way that is un- like. So I'm not a person that's like. Yo, this is trash or whatever. But oh, it's just yeah. like that just ain't me. Like, yeah. but hey man, here's the thing. Like, I have tons of respect for people who are actually about that life. So it's like if man's was ministry focused and, and lives got changed via that, I have zero. I I'm like, yo, I don't have no it ain't my cup of tea, but man, whoever's cup of tea it was, I'm glad they it, enjoyed it. You it, know well, what I'm it, saying? It, it, and that's the thing. I think <laughs> I think really when you look at someone like Carmen his legacy isn't necessarily defined directly by his art. You know, I think, I think it really, his legacy in his in particular really is sort of about what he represented to different people for the, to Cameron's point, for some people that grew up in, uh, more maybe more conservative um, settings. He was all they had when he was like, he's our movie star. He's our yeah. you know musician. For other people, he was emblematic of you know kind of that you know culture where Christian uh, artists kind of play off trends in pop culture. He was emblematic of those two different worlds that were strictly divided. He, I think, it's somewhat of a complicated legacy, but certainly an interesting one. Uh, in, so that's what of- I was going to ask: is he is he um, responsible for the if you d- like this, 
you'll love that. Was he kind of the first the person era. that kind of hey, did that? That's like not from era. that era. But okay. I don't know that he was, and he always seemed a little bit removed from kind of like the main, the, the CCM mothership. Like he, he yeah, no, he was, he, a, he was the Dove Awards. That's right. Like right. he was, he was sort gotcha. of, a, he was a little bit of an island. He would that's do a, like, I'm glad you're saying that. That why. is absolutely true. It was a ministry focused thing. He saw, I, this is my view. I don't know. He didn't tell me this, but I think he saw music and film and things as a tool to reach young people and families with the gospel. And so Uh he used it to gather people, put on a great show. He was an entertainer. And then he shared the gospel and his focus was ministry. Unlike the Christian music industry, which was entertainment and, you know, radio and things like that. He was not interested in that. He was in the church lane. He, he, I would say if they added it up, if we talked to somebody from his ministry, he's probably led hundreds of thousands of people to Christ over his ministry Millions, career. according to the site. Okay, millions. Okay. Millions. And I don't doubt that because I was in arenas that you were you were there with 10, 20,000 people at a Carmen concert. Your whole youth group came. And we're not there like, oh, we love him as an artist, but it was just a fun night. And, you know, it's Christian entertainment and people came to the Lord and like... You know, whatever. <laughs> like, you know, it wasn't like we were fans. And we all knew that his stuff was campy and we knew that his videos were cheesy. And I think he knew it too. I think it he was just very like owned much, it, you know? It was very much of the era. And this was very much a, a 90s thing. He would be up there with somebody like a, like a Frank Peretti, maybe sort of the a Stephen King of way of looking at the universe, which is Christianity is like a cosmic battle between good and evil. And it's mm-hmm. playing out in the clouds above your heads. There's there's Satan and the demons and there's God and the angels. And he saw spiritual warfare as an extremely literal uh, warfare, like actual battles being fought, which if you're nine – uh, and your whole idea of Christianity is I sit in church pews on Sunday and it's extremely boring and I just want to go. That That's a very compelling idea. And I think it's been used in some kind of harmful ways in terms of uh, like sort of sanctifying violent ideas about how to engage with the culture. But I think also, I don't think he intended it that way at all. Not He was not a bad faith actor in that. Doubt, he wasn't gotcha. the only one either. I mean, Derek, no, like no, no. early 90s Christian hip hop was very much about that. Like gospel gangsters was yeah. literally like you know, gang violence against demons. T-Bone was gang, you know, t- gang violence against yeah. demons. And Carmen was the sanitized church sanctuary version of that. But it, it was an early nineties thing. Frank Peretti, this present darkness and the, the, the spirit war, the spiritual realm war between good and evil was very much permeating Christian culture at that time. It was really, yeah, I heard the gospel gangsters. I, I actually, they were legit. Um, I actually, Mr. Solo is like one of my top, top five top 10 rappers period just like he has a, he has like he was actually a good rapper and like if you strip all of that stuff away like i heard the t i heard t-bone i think i heard like his first album i was like yo this is just my man is out here murdering do you, do you remember sfc sfc was that era too nah, they were I legit know, i don't know about them so, i only really knew i knew three groups i knew this was my christian rap consumption it was gospel gangsters uh and then uh some of the um what was it grape tree like his dude no. named antonius no, yeah dude yeah so <laughs> the i like that coming out of dallas was not 
consistently good. It was, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was crazy. So I knew a dude, there's a dude named Antonius that I used to really like. And then uh, I knew the Grits because they were in Nashville. Yeah. So like, it, I mean, they were, they were like a big just rap group in Nashville, just period. You know what I mean? What, 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 what's interesting is in a lot of ways, you know, Carmen, his career was sort of the last of one of the last of an era where, you know, they're, they were there were hard divides between what was seen as sort of you know quote unquote Christian and what was seen as everything else and Carmen mm. basically creating his own persona that would exist in sort of this bubble that's just not something that people really do anymore and I, I think um you know that's part of what again kind of makes him an interesting figure I mean right now I can hear if I I can turn on a, a video game and hear a Derek Minor song or right. I can you know Lauren Daigle will be on the Today Show Dolly Parton is doing a duet with like for King and Country you know these wall these sort of artificial walls that separated uh artists based on their personal beliefs around spirituality have really kind of crumbled away but that was the era that kind of carmen symbolized in a lot of people's mind that approach to the church and culture which was to kind of keep them separate you know that's not that's not me making any kind of judgment about that but i just feel like that is probably what he will be most remembered for is is being one of the main figures of that era that was very formative for a lot of people for better or for worse absolutely i wonder if that's a result of because it, it would feel as though the world back then was just compartmentalized just in general, like not even, you know, just Christianity versus sacred, secular, but it was, you know, I remember used to like, you'd wonder like, man, what, what is like Michael Jackson or Tupac, man? I wonder what they think. I wonder what, and now it's just like every artist, you know, everything about them at all times. And it's just, everything is just kind of just mixed up together. Hmm. It feels like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think that's why Christianity is struggling a little bit, especially if you're trying to hold on to that bubble, because it's almost it's really impossible to live in a bubble unless mm. you just try. You have to really try mm. hard to live in that bubble. The Kristen mm. DeMay, the author of Jesus and John Wayne, talks about that a lot in her latest book about a big part of the reason she believes that that Christian subculture doesn't really exist anymore is the internet because there is no subculture on the internet. You know, you can, yeah. find, you can wall yourself off if you want to, but if you're online, you're going to encounter people who are different than you think differently or from different countries and cultures. And it's just harder to maintain those really strict divides between this is who I am and that's who they are. There's not as much of a they on the internet. I mean, you could, cause I remember back in the day, like you would hear pastors say things that now I think about, man, how cringy and how myopic that thought would be. Uh, you know, people would say things about the, the, the LGBT community or about, you know, different religions. Mm-hmm. And then you could say something like that today. Somebody retweeted it go viral and they literally just lay out not only just trash you. But actually lay out why what you believe is stupid factually. And I think that that's the difference between us growing up than these kids. Like, the, you, you better yeah. know what you're talking about with a, a, a 18, 21 year old now, because mm-hmm. you post some stuff that you just believe. <laughs> They're going to Google it in five minutes and destroy your whole position. <laughs> it's true. 
All right. Well, there's a lot more happening this week, including while we're recording this show. To stay up with the latest, check everything out that we're publishing every day at relevantmagazine.com. Follow us on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, at Relevant, Instagram, at Relevant Magazine. Thanks, Tyler. Oh, actually, I'm not going to thank you. You're staying for the rest of the show because Jamie's power went out. She confirmed that uh, in between segments, her power went out. She'll probably be out for the rest of the show. So, uh, listener, you get you get Tyler instead of Jamie. (laughs) Stay tuned. Up next, Minari director Lee Isaac Chung joins us. You're listening to London Grammar. The song is Baby, It's You. Not me, it's you. Well, today's episode is brought to you by podcast creation platform, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. There are custom tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and every major platform. The cool thing is you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Well, Lee Isaac Chung is a film director and screenwriter. After dropping his original plans for medical school, he decided to pursue filmmaking and went on to create powerful films that have premiered at prominent film festivals around the world, as well as created a film academy in Rwanda. His new movie from A24 is called Minari, and it's in the spotlight. It's already been nominated for a Golden Globe and many other awards. He sat down with our very own Tyler Huckabee to tell us about Minari, the complications of telling his own story, and why the story of Asian-American immigration is a little bit different. It's our conversation with filmmaker Lee Isaac Chung. What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family. Glad you're here. How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right. Yes. 미국 애들은 할머니랑 같이 방 쓰는 거 싫어한다던데. I don't like grandma. 걔는 안 그래요. 한국애니까. Grandma smells like Korea. Yeah. First of all, Isaac, uh, thanks for this movie. Uh, really loved it. And and uh, thank you for being willing to share this with us. You, uh, I was reading some previous interviews of yours and you mentioned that part of the reason you started writing this script was because of some of the reading you did from Willa Cather. I was wondering if you could explain that a little bit. Well, sometimes I worry when you are so influenced by something, you're like, oh, I, I don't want to be copying this or anything. It's a journey of, uh, that one is a journey of a boy who's been orphaned, I believe. And, and he he goes and lives on a farm with grandparents in rural Nebraska. So so he kind of comes to this new terrain. And, um, and then what he ends up witnessing is how difficult farming life is. Like he, the, the, the Smyrta family, you know, there's even um, this, farmer who ends up committing suicide as well. So um, there's, there's an echo of that in this film of that farming life and difficulty and a boy who's like coming into a new situation. Uh, and what, when I read her book, it was, 
it was not those story elements that stood out to me um, that I wanted to recapture, but more that I really relate to this. Like, I, I feel strangely mm-hmm. like I, I know this story because I lived it out. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what propelled me uh, to go into that direction as I studied and researched how she approached that book. Like, she essentially was letting that boy be a stand-in for her herself. Um, and uh, she was remembering back. Like, she, she mentions how she, she had to remember. And I thought, okay, that's what I need to do with this one and tell this story of my journey to a farm. Um, and, and so that, that's the basis. Had you been considering this movie for a while, but just didn't know how to go about starting it? Or, or at which point did you start to think, okay, I think now's the time. I think I can do this. Um, it, honestly, it didn't happen until February of 2018 that I felt like I figured out a path <laughs> for this. <laughs> I, I mean, I had in mind that I wanted to tell a family story for a long time. And in my mind, I would often think it's going to be a family story that starts in Korea and it's going to be expansive and you see like the Korean War and it's this epic. Um, but it wasn't until like 2018, I realized I'm the age of my dad when he moved us to that farm. And then my daughter is now the age that I was when I moved to that farm. And um, there's a resonance about that, about where I find myself in life now compared to what it was like to be a kid and my dad was making that move um that 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 just made me feel like there was a story there um as i started to chart out what actually happened during that era like like i could understand more my dad's story of of what he was doing and and that helped a great deal and i thought i I guess this means i'm ready like I, i i know how to how to write a script about this stuff because i i really feel something about it Something I noticed is uh, it seems like a lot of the movies you see about the immigrant experience start in a different country and then come here and they sort of chart that journey. How do you think that changes the viewer's experience with you sort of almost starting in the middle? Yeah. Uh, what I, what I wanted to avoid and what I noticed if I, if I ever thought about that process being included in the film, uh, was that the story ends up being about that obstacle of overcoming that Mm -hmm. initial shock into this culture. And, um, and then as viewers, American viewers, we would kind of have one step ahead of them. Well, we know what it takes for you to be one of us. You know, the standpoint of watching the film changes. But if if they are already in America and they're just starting a journey into something completely new in another part of the U.S., um, I felt like we're more on equal terms with with this family as American viewers. Hmm. Um, So so that meant a lot to me, and I felt like. it allows American viewers to see this family as a human family rather than as an immigrant family. Like I, I felt like that, that helps a lot in setting that up. When you're writing the script for this movie and drawing uh, real experiences from real people like you are, is that difficult? Do you worry that someone's going to see this and will like have their feelings hurt or, or do you feel exposed? Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's super hard. I'm, I'm laughing because that, that was like my biggest fear, especially with my, my family, to be honest. Yeah, it, it, with that, I, I, just, I just knew that um, 
I could be doing them a great injustice if I put them in a negative light or anything like that. Um, and like, I had to take a step back and just start to tell myself, this is not even about them. This is not about hmm. me. And it's, this has to be about this family. So as I was working on the script, like I, I just changed the characters' names all to the E family, changed all their first names. And um, it was a liberating thing. Once I did that, it's, it just made me think about, okay, what is this story and not what actually happened? Once that happened, like I, I worried less. Yeah, it, I bet even after changing the names and putting some of that distance in, it sure, I'm sure it still takes some conscious effort to remember that this is its own story. This isn't uh, recorded history. It's got to be its own thing. Definitely. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think I would sometimes go back to memories at times in order to try to get things right. But then <laughs> there... There came a point where I just realized that that in itself was false. And it it was even happening on the set where I would wonder, do I do this because this is what it was like in our house? Or, you know, uh, my my production designer, Yong-Hok Lee, at one point, just early on, she just said, listen, this is not your family. (laughs) And uh, that's when I realized, oh, I had to go through this with the writing. Now I have to do this in production as well. And, um, And that ultimately was was the healthiest way to approach the work and um, the only way that I could try to make it not self-indulgent memoir but really a, a film that hopefully will stand on its own even if you don't know who in the world who directed it. conception to the finished product now how different are those two things what would uh would be the most surprising thing about the movie if you could go back and tell yourself um what's going to happen um it it's miles different um the good thing is like i feel like i've gone through enough films now like i this is my fourth feature where i built in that sort of heavy guardedness that this is just not going to live up to what I have in my mind. What in my mind is this grand masterpiece. Um, so I, I, I had that out of me and, uh, I just expected I'm going to be disappointed. So whatever, let's just do the best job possible. <laughs> um, but, but honestly, as we were making it, like I started to find myself like, um, stunned with the actors. Uh, I was like, wow, they are doing things that I could not have expected. Uh-huh. This boy, Alan, he's a genius. Like I, uh, his performance was much better than what I expected on page and um, Steven and YJ Yeti um, all the things that they were doing were so incredible. And then our, our cinematographer, production designer, I could go on and on. Um, it's like everybody was adding their best work and it was better than I could have expected or imagined. And that's when I thought um, this is the way it needs to be from here on out. Like I, I really need to be pushing for everyone's, participation in providing their best work. And if I am enabling them to do that and harnessing it into this one project, it's going to be better than what I expected. Um, and that's a that's a, a big shift from in the past, I thought a director's work is putting his stamp, hitting his or her stamp on something and expressing a directorial vision and all that stuff. But um, yeah, now I see that it's really the work of collaboration and 
Um, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of exaggerate with, with those past films, but I, I just felt like for once, um, I watched the rough cut, uh, with Harry Yoon, our editor, and I, I felt pleased. And, um, I, I have a poet friend of mine, Claude Wilkinson, and I once asked him, how do you know when you're done with a poem? And he says, well, sometimes there are poems, I read them, and I just feel well pleased with it. And uh, I thought that's such a delicate, beautiful emotion, and, and I hope I feel that one day. And with this one, I, I watched the rough cut, and I was, I was, I was pleased with it. And uh, my mind honestly just goes to the, all those people and what they did. You know, I'm, I'm just touched by what everybody contributed to this thing. director lee isaac chung check out minari on amazon prime it is out now very good stay tuned up next it's this week's relevant recommends and then what's jesse thinking Welcome to Relevant Recommends, our weekly look at the books, movies, albums, shows, and even video games worth your time. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm the senior editor of Relevant, and this week we're looking at NBC's new sitcom, Young Rock. So um, it's really easy to be skeptical of a premise like Young Rock. At least I was really skeptical of it. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a TV show about Dwayne Johnson's younger years. Now, the cynical side of me kind of said this sounds like a weak attempt to leverage a star's fame and likability to make a quick buck, and uh, maybe that's how it's started, but the show is way richer than it has any right to be, and and it's recruited some really smart writers and a really appealing cast to make for a very fun and really sweet little family comedy. Uh, Johnson himself actually co-wrote the series with Nanachka Khan. Uh, That's who wrote uh, ABC's Fresh Off the Boat. The episodes usually involve Johnson telling a story from his childhood, which are pulled from three distinct eras of his life. His time as a preteen in the early 80s, his high school experience, and then his college life. He's portrayed, of course, by three different actors, in addition to Johnson himself, each charting a chapter in Johnson's journey from being a churlish, kind of big-for-his-age kid, to a college football hero, to a pro wrestling icon. Now, pro wrestling is a major part of this show, but you don't have to be a fan to fall in love with its unique window into that world. At least me, as a as a non-pro wrestling fan, enjoyed it a lot. Now, Dwayne is the son of a well-known pro wrestler named Rocky Johnson, which meant he grew up and around many of the era's best-known entertainers like Junkyard Dog, Macho Man Randy Savage, Andre the Giant, and the Wild Samoans. And they all make cameo appearances here as well. The show has a lot of fun joking about the absurdities of the pro wrestling world, but it balances that with a really clear and earnest love for that culture. It's easy to see why young Dwayne, uh, who went by Dewey at the time, would aspire to join his dad's ranks. But on the whole, this series feels a lot more like Wonder Years than WrestleMania. And uh, it's the, the love and trust between Dewey and Rocky are what make up the heart of the series, so far at least, which is really about a family that is struggling financially, but soars in terms of actual love and gratitude for each other. It's very, very heartwarming. Like the best family sitcoms, the premise is really just an excuse to peer into these people's lives and get to know them and root for them and 
maybe even learn from their adventures. So far, Young Rock shows premise of delivering on all of that. Uh, it's on NBC, and we do recommend it. You can read more relevant recommends at relevantmagazine.com. Listening to Salt, the song is Wildfires. All right, it's time for What's Jesse thinking? Huh? Hmm. What are you thinking this week, Jesse? <laughs> I'm thinking it's time to pay a visit, maybe even as a podcast crew, to the great state of Oklahoma. And I will explain why. The frozen um, tundra of Oklahoma this week. Yeah. Well, well, oh. here here's the thing. Uh, I know Cameron, you and I spent uh, quite a bit of time in uh in Oklahoma, having gone to to, to, to ORU in, in Tulsa. Uh, well, one lawmaker, a state representative named Justin Humphrey, has just announced his new plan to generate some tourism to to uh, the what is it? The Okie State? Do we even know the nickname? Oklahoma? This doesn't matter. They are Okies, but it's not the Okie State. I don't uh, know. Well, either way to to Oklahoma. Uh, Tyler, have you heard about this story at all? I don't eh, keep going right now. I'm flying blind. Okay, so so the the goal is to get people to come and visit Oklahoma, and o- Oklahoma not, oh, okay. is the Sooner State. The Sooner State. That's and right. By the way, if if you type the word Oklahoma into Google, you know when they offer suggestions. I I typed O K L A, and the first one was. Oklahoma is the what state? That's literally the main thing people ask about Oklahoma. Oklahoma is the what state? Sooner so state. I'm glad I'm not alone. I figure I, I think I, <laughs> I, I I pride myself in a person that has a lot of useless trivia. And the fact that I don't know Oklahoma's nickname is very concerning. But apparently it's just they haven't done a well a good job of branding it. Maybe that's why he's working so hard on this campaign, where they get a bit more buzz about Oklahoma. More people would care about the nickname. So Tyler, this this initiative involves the Oklahoman wildlife conservation commission and he and he is asking this state representative is asking this commission to do something tyler what do you think that the the oklahoma wild Conser- wildlife conservation commission what could they do to make you want to come visit their their great okay. sooner well state? To, so so this is just to get me into oklahoma yes yes right. what would get you to door. come um I mean, it would. Ha- I would. The best way to get me, I-, I would go anywhere right now. First of all, it's pandemic. Yeah. I've been locked down. If Oklahoma is the best option, I'll do it. So obviously, some sort of incentive, like a, we'll bump you up the list on the vaccine or something like that. But I'm assuming that's not it. No, so, this is more. This is more of a wildlife centric activity. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna tell you right now right. what Oklahoma is doing to try to get tourists to come. They are introducing. Well, he has introduced the bill that is trying to force the Oklahoma Wildlife Commission to create rules, dates, licenses, and fees. For a Bigfoot hunting season, uh-huh. he wants to get people uh-huh. to come Bigfoot's to in Oklahoma. the Pacific Northwest, not in the middle of the plains. Hey, listen, the Pacific Northwest doesn't have a problem with tourism. Lots to do there. Lots to, you know, <laughs> we, like they've got Seattle, they've got Portland, they've got, you know, a, a lot of, yeah, lovely places. Oklahoma, it's, it's evidently Bigfoot is, is on a very short list. So he wants, now the Wildlife Commission isn't all that ex- excited about this bill because th- this bill would force them to implement this Bigfoot hunting season. Now, they're not excited about this bill. 
primarily for one reason, and mm. that is there is no such thing as Bigfoot. <laughs> and so having to come up with a licensing system could be legally problematic for them, especially if this bill goes through. There's also a couple other problems with uh, Representative Humphrey's bill. One is it doesn't look like he put the most time and care uh, uh, you know, it, it thought into it when uh, when crafting this piece of legislation, because there's a pretty uh, significant <laughs> there's a pretty significant typo I noticed as I was looking through some of the no documentation, way. Oh, no. and that it, it it would require this wildlife commission to establish a quote big foot hunting season, not Bigfoot, a big foot hunting season oh no so, a, so the actual bill would give people the legal right to go hunt a large foot okay because there was a typo in the bill there's a typo in the bill it, it could happen to anybody could happen to anybody okay i mean big foot. Feet, you could put them on a chain maybe it's like now you'd have and it's subjective feet. like if i was a person that wore like size 18 i'd be concerned yeah like someone's gonna I, there's not that i don't know how many other feet are bigger the mine in the state but a lot of people paid money to come the other thing too is uh some oklahomans were pretty concerned that you know it, what if there is a bigfoot okay and what if this bigfoot is in oklahoma and we you brought people into the state and they paid and killed this mysterious beast that's not a good look no and so he nope. for justin humphrey not only did he have the the typo not only are are, are people concerned about his plan he went to he, he 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 went he did a big interview with the oklahoman and tried to put concerns to rest yeah he, mind you none of this is in the bill he's making all of this up as he goes he says, I want to be really clear that we're not going to kill Bigfoot. We're going to trap a live Bigfoot. We are not promoting killing Bigfoot. We are promoting hunting Bigfoot, trying to find evidence of Bigfoot. But as every news story that has covered this story notes, the bill doesn't specify that at all. This says <laughs> it is a Bigfoot hunting season, like every other hunting season, where you come to the state armed and try to leave with a, with a body of the whatever big game you're going after. So... I, I like where Justin Humphrey's head is at and kind of getting outside the box and trying to get people to go to Oklahoma, which is a lovely state. Right. Uh, but I feel like he could have put a little forethought when he was crafting this here's, particular piece here's of legislation. something that I've learned looking up the Oklahoma is the what state. Here's something I learned about Oklahoma that is very surprising to me. It's right in the middle of the country. It's right above Texas. Uh -huh. You know, the big old chunk of land right there. It didn't become a state till the 1900s. It was the 46th state. What what did wow. we have in the middle? We were like a donut. Like, <laughs> right. What was the country in 1905? There was no Oklahoma. It was just it was a Mexico. hole. So it's interesting you bring this up because I I I, I haven't thought about it. But there's a book I read a while ago. I think it's called Boomtown, and it's about the founding of some big pieces of property in Oklahoma. And it, it, so it talks about the founding of Oklahoma City along with that really magical year for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Do you remember that year, Cameron? It's kind of yeah. a weird book, yeah. um, but it parallels sort of that like spirit of reckless abandon that the early thunder had which is sort of the spirit of oklahoma which is we're going to try something weird and see if it works which at that time was having james harden come off the bench along with kevin durant and uh uh, uh russell westbrook this crazy team that just kind of lit the nba on fire that's sort of this weird oklahoma spirit they, it, it, just talking about how it was founded they had a, for Oklahoma City, the city itself, and they outline this in the book, is they had a date at a certain time, and they had a border marked off. 
and they it was a literal land grab. They said at this time on this date, there's basically going to be a starting line, and everyone just run for it and start marking up property, and that's going to be Oklahoma City. And it was just people racing and putting stakes in the ground, and that was how the city was founded. Uh, a wow. literal land grab. The founding of Oklahoma. They're always you know thinking what? outside the box. They're doing land grabs. They have a cool basketball team, and now they want us to be able to hunt you Bigfoot. Know, I'm all what? for it. I'm. I am. I. I'm embarrassed. I remember the history of that state. Yeah, two thirds of the state was Native American Indian sovereign land. That's why uh-huh. it wasn't a state. And uh-huh. then in the 1900s, they went and did the land grab and took over the land and gave it to the white people and called it Oklahoma. And it, it, and it's it, it, a horrible story of oppression. Well, uh, to well and it's Americans. a lot of ill thought out. Uh, uh, you know, not obviously. You know, moving entire indigenous people, wow. people groups, and then just saying so, like, "Well, wow. the best way to found a city is just to let everyone just have a free for all." It yeah. did not work out well <laughs> for for the people involved in the land grab. But I, it just it goes to show it's a it's a it, they they do things a little differently in the sooner state. I, I, so even, let me get this straight. Hold on, hold on. We got the y'all can't just brush over this. I need to understand. You telling me that this was indigenous land. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they just said, all right, white people, y'all just Uh go take everything you want. Uh-huh. And then that's and they, and they made reservations this- and stuff and moved all the indigenous people to the reservations and then created Oklahoma. And, and, and now like legally there was a massive lawsuit in the last month that was settled where um, it was a crime was committed by a native American in Oklahoma and yeah, they were, heard about and then, this. And then yeah. the prosecution can it be prosecuted by the federal government or is this a is this a sovereign nation? Sovereign, yeah, issue? sovereign nation. And yeah. they in the legisl- in the ruling uh, for the first time stated that two thirds of the state of Oklahoma is actually sovereign land today, and and this was a sovereign issue and not a U.S. government issue and for this crime in particular. And so now all of a sudden it opens up the can of worms of who owns what land now in modern day Oklahoma because it was stolen and it's actually still sovereign land. And it was only stolen less than, you know, a hundred years ago. Well, I'm going to read, uh, uh, this is from, there's a great podcast called 99% (laughs) Invisible, which is about design and cities. And uh, Mm -hmm. they did an episode uh, a while ago. It was actually when that book came out called The Worst Way to Start a City. And they did a blog post on it based on the transcript. This I'm going to read just a quote from this. Anyone who wanted... Anyone who wanted to claim land uh, could line up at the border of the unassigned land, which was around 300 miles in circumference. Mm -hmm. Then at noon on April 22nd, 1889, a signal would be giving initiating the land grab. Settlers would rush in and hammer down stakes to claim land up to 160 acres out in the country and smaller patches designated in town sites. That's why they're called the Sooners, because whoever got there sooner got the land. That's literally the way the name came about. Well, and I I want to read this paragraph, too, because this is a little poetic justice for uh, just, you know, the the, the kind of just the weird kind of insidiousness of a a land grab. Around 100,000 people showed up that day up at the border to make a run for it. 
They came from all over the country and even the world, traveling from places like Liverpool and Hamburg. When the signal went off, it was total chaos. I mean, people were shooting guns to speed up their horses and accidentally shooting each other. Horses were dying of exhaustion. It's the wildest scene you can imagine. Yeah, you think? You just lined everyone up on a border and said, on your market, set, go? That's not yeah. the best way to establish property rights. On your market, set, yeah. steal. Right, it's yeah. not go, it's right. steal. Yeah. All right. 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 Yo, it like, is, it is right. somehow an even worse idea than a Bigfoot hunting competition to try to drive up <laughs> tourism in this, which is, which is really that the bar is already low. Yeah. But idea the politics there has not improved appreciably in the, the last 200 years. It's my understanding that they do a similar thing, not to line them up and go and the sooner one wins. It's not that, but you know, that's a way that they settled uh, Alaska as well. That if you wanted to go, here's your patch of land. You can have it. Homesteading was part of the, you know, uh, draw to bring, you know, citizens out there, but that wasn't native like indigenous land. It was just unclaimed land largely, you know, over in Alaska, you know, if you watch Yellowstone, which I've, I will telling everybody who will listen, go watch Yellowstone. It's an amazing show. That's a major, major plot point. And they keep talking about how, uh, the 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 nat- the tension between the Wyoming residents and ranchers and the indigenous people who still live in there, you know, on the reservations in Wyoming, but they talk about like Yellowstone National Park just 125 years ago was indigenous land and the American government took it from the native people and made it Yellowstone National Park. You know, like, like this isn't like ancient history. This is a hundred years ago. This is 125 years ago. To my knowledge, that's the same thing that happened with Central Park, that it was a a black community. Really? Yeah. That there was air, there was an area in Central Park where that is in, in, in uh, Manhattan, that was a black community and they literally claimed eminent domain. And like, so I'm, I'm wondering like, what is the significance of parks that you would move like indigenous people or people out of land? Like, why is that so important? Like, I, I, I don't know that this just really kind of just hmm. that, that hurt. Like listening to what you said about, like, I, di- I didn't know that about Oklahoma, that, Man, Oklahoma but it makes a lot crazy. of sense. <laughs> It makes a lot of sense. And then when you think about some of the history there in Oklahoma, like Tulsa and all those different things, it's like, oh, man, I mean, it's literally the Wild West in real time, like in the past hundred years. Wow, man. Woof. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Jesse. Thanks. <laughs> well, thanks. listen, I'm not well, proposing we go there thinking. and steal land. I just want to <laughs> I, I just want to reel it back for one sec. I'm proposing we go and hunt a mythical beast. <laughs> Legally, that, that is Legally, nowhere near there. Even if it existed, sanctioned, stank sanctioned, hunt. or or people with very large feet. Yeah, go, or, or because of an unfortunate typo. Legally, I'm allowed <laughs> to hunt a big footed person. <laughs> you know, I'm just reading the law. You know, how exactly does this governor propose that people? I mean, hunting is one thing, but if we're just trying to trap the guy. Yeah. Then what's the what's the system there? Like like do you yeah. put a big a refrigerator box under a stick with a little treat under it? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Or, okay. Let, let's yeah. presume let's presume this was his plan all along of sure. lawmaker. Yeah, okay, you want to unleash people. Well, h- how exactly do you plan on not just finding a Bigfoot, but then yeah. trapping a Bigfoot? Because if there's one thing, one thing that we know about Bigfoot is his size he's very large his feet alone are big so big that we named him after the size of his feet how 
Yeah, thank you, Tyler. That is a fantastic point. How are uh, we expected Oklahoma to trap them? Oklahoma full of cowboys on horses with lassos. They would, yeah. they would lasso them. You can't them. lasso Bigfoot. That's not a, he's not a bola. This is you don't a, this know is that. A, you don't know that because we haven't had the permits to try. And now we do. Yeah, well, thanks to this well, lawmaker. Yeah, yeah. Now be, legally, we can, you can, you can construct your Bigfoot. I would See be impressed. Now, See what happens when Jamie loses her power. This is what you get. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot. <laughs> That's this week's. What's Jesse thinking? Oh. Okay, before we wrap things up, I want to set the record straight. Last week, we had two episodes. A week ago, we had two episodes where our very own Derek Miner and Jamie Ivey were unable to record. And so we had Tyler sit in. And on one episode, we had our friend, uh, hip-hop artist, producer, Andy Minio sit in. And on the on the next episode, we had uh, producer, songwriter, artist, uh, prolific individual friend Trent Dabbs said it. Well, the next episode when we welcomed Derek and Jamie back, I fumbled around my excitement to the audience to say, "Hey, the family's back together. Hey, we're so excited!" And I accidentally created the impression that we are so grateful that Derek and Jamie are back, Derek. Because Trent Dabbs, you know, in comparison, I guess, to Trent Dabbs, it's just we're so grateful that they're back. You know what I'm saying? Well, I got a DM from our friend Trent Dabbs <laughs> booing me for my intro on that podcast. And I tried my best to reply to him and assure him that I thought he was hilarious. We love him on the show every time he's come. He brings the heat. And, and I did not want to tell anybody or give the impression to anybody that Trent Dabbs brought anything less than the hottest heat. Trent Dabbs, we are honored that you joined us for the episode. Nobody is, is like you. Nobody can replace you. And I am very sorry that I gave the impression that you didn't bring the heat. Okay, Trent Dabbs, I know you're listening. And you didn't reply to my DMs. You didn't acknowledge them. You didn't give me a heart or a thumbs up. Nothing to indicate that we're cool. I said I'd make it up to you on this show. I'm asking for your forgiveness. <laughs> and please come back on the show anytime. We love you. We're fans. You bring the heat every time. All right. Hey, uh, <laughs> that's how you set things right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, many thanks to director Lee Isaac Chung for joining us. Check out Minari from A24. It is phenomenal it's out now it's gonna win a bunch of awards it's already nominated this year it's on amazon prime you have amazon prime go check it out it's worth it um also it is is it the last week it might be the last week of the january february issue of relevant with pharrell on the cover and so much other great content we're about to debut our march issue if you haven't taken the time to spend some time with those articles those features those think pieces do it now Go to relamagazine.com, click the magazine tab, and the January-February issue is right there. It's completely free. Share it. Help us spread word. I think you'll love it. Some phenomenal pieces. The new issue of Relevant at relevantmagazine.com. Also, every Friday, check out our new uh, Relevant Recommends article. It's every Friday afternoon. We post it at relevantmagazine.com. It's not only our main selection for the week, but all the other stuff we're into. It's a great source to stay, keep your finger on the pulse of what's coming out and what's, what's standing out in media and entertainment. Also, while you're at the site, we have two new newsletters and features. 
Deeper Walk is our daily devotional. Every morning, there's a new Deeper Walk devotional posted at the site. There's a Deeper Walk section. You can also sign up for the Deeper Walk emails to get it in your inbox. And we have a new Deeper Walk podcast. Go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Deeper Walk podcast is just now rolling out. It's kind of in beta, but it's there every morning. If you'd rather listen to your devotional than read it, the Deeper Walk podcast, email, articles, it's all new. Uh, it's brought to you by our friends at the Lumo Project, an amazing visual uh, gospel uh, initiative that they're doing. Go check out Lumo as well. Thanks to them. And Relevant Today, our top five most trending articles in your inbox every morning. Relevant Today, sign up right there at the front page of relevantmagazine.com. Okay, on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. Oh, and I'm cold. And I'm Tyler Huckabee. <laughs> sitting in for Jamie Ivey, who we hope is fine. That's Tyler Huckabee. All right. We will see you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay warm, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Check out our features, interviews, and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com. And make sure to follow Relevant on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest. For more great podcasts, browse the shows on the Relevant Podcast Network, which you can find at our site. And while you're there, don't miss the all-new era of Relevant Magazine. A new issue releases every other month at relevantmagazine.com. If you settle into the first three seasons, the last nine are really good. Relevant Podcast Network.